Paul is in jail when he pens this letter to the Ephesian church. If you're newer to our fellowship, we have been spending time in the book of Ephesians. And we're all the way through chapter 4 at this moment. But Paul spends his first half of the letter really focusing on the blessings of God's grace. He focuses on all that we are, all that we've been given. But everything changes in chapter 4. There is one imperative in the first three chapters. And there are 40 imperatives in the last three chapters. Paul is starting to get excited. And literally he's saying this. Your faith in God and your standing with God means you literally live or walk differently. Your words and your actions ought to reflect your royal standing. And it ought to make the church one amazing and powerful force. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles or your flat screens to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading at verse 7. However, Paul writes, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Wow. However, he just gets through in the first six verses talking about how unified we are. How one we are in Jesus. But then he kind of says, hey, hey, wait a minute. I want to just redefine some things for you. Even though you are one, even though you are unified, unity is not uniformity. God is gracious and has graced every one of his kids with a gift. Or literally with gifts. You have a spiritual gift. If you are a son or a daughter of God, you have been gifted. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter writes this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Gifts are God-given abilities or skills that enable a believer to perform a specific function in the body of Christ with effectiveness and ease. Each believer's gift is unique. The measure or the specific portion is given by divine design. Let that sit for a little bit. Each one of us have at least a gift. Believers, by God's design, by his sovereignty, because he is king and knows all and knows what's best, knew at the exact time that you put your faith in Jesus what to give you so that you might be part of his mission. Spiritual gifts are given with our salvation and are used to fulfill God's calling for each one of us. The gifts are varied and fill different roles. 
Some are more visible than others, but all are equally important and essential. All gifts derive their power from the same source, the triune God. And gifts are not given for one's, or for one's own edification, but for the common good. All the gifts are meant to give God glory, who lavishly again bestows them on each one of us. So, Rick, you're really getting all that out of verse 7? No. But all the way through the scriptures, God has a design for us and for the church. And I would like to say this, we're going to be moving through quite a few things quickly today. And if any of you want my full notes or want us to be able to print them for you or get them to you, I'll be happy to do that, which has all kinds of different scripture references. But as I looked at the text we're going to cover today, don't panic. But honestly, I, I thought I could go for four or five hours. Just looking at different places and going different directions. This is unbelievable, to be quite honest. But some things were going to move rather quickly. And I hope, really, your hearts are encouraged. John MacArthur, I'd like to quote him. He says this, By definition, gifts are something we receive. And we receive spiritual gifts through the working of God's grace. Believers' gifts are not determined by their preferences, inclinations, natural abilities, merit, or any other personal consideration, but solely by God's sovereign and gracious will. We are gifted according to His plan, His purpose, and His measure. We have no more to do with determining our gift than we did with determining the color of skin, hair, or eyes we would be born with. God is the source of electing grace, equipping grace, and enabling grace. From the palette of gift cover colors, The Holy Spirit uses the brush of his sovereign design to paint the mixture of each believer so that no two believers are exactly the same. An individual gift may include a number of specific areas of giftedness in a limitless variety of combinations. Let's read verses 8 through 10 of chapter 4. That is why, Paul writes, the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended into our lowly world. And at the same and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the universe with himself. Now again scholars go a thousand different directions right here. But let me share with you at least the way that I see it. The apostle Paul is quoting from Psalm 68 verse 18. 
And I believe he uses Psalm 68 as a comparison passage to show that Jesus has the right to give out gifts to anyone he pleases. Psalm 68 literally is a victory hymn. It was common for a victorious king to bring home the spoils and the parade enemy prisoners before his people. Just as an earthly victorious king has every right to do as he pleases with the spoils, King Jesus, our victorious ruler, has every right to gift his people any way he pleases. Now Paul lists the gifts Christ gave to the church, the purpose for the gifts, and the result of the gifts. And I'm telling you, I think by the end of this text, you're going to have wings. It's going to be unbelievable for each one of you if you understand what the church is about. So first, the gifts acknowledged. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor and teachers. Let's look at this. First of all, apostles. Apostleship, in a general sense, refers to people who have been sent in an official capacity, all right? In the New Testament, though, it has a little bit more technical meaning. Apostles were not only officially sent by God, but we know that they had to have seen the risen Lord. The apostles were among the first or the fundamental ministers of the original church who revealed sound doctrine and even wrote New Testament texts, which would carry the church into the future. But because of the uniqueness of this ministry, and because we know that people don't live 2,000 years, there are no official apostles today. Now we look at the prophets. Like the gift of apostleship, the gift of prophecy was also regarded in Scripture as a foundational ministry of the church. And therefore, historically temporary. Let's go back just to Ephesians. You're in your Bibles anyway. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul back then, again, was just kind of illustrating, kind of bringing things together and talking about how amazing the church is. And he gets into this text, verse 20. Together, we are his house talking about the Jews and the Gentiles at that moment, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Prophets were mouthpieces of God, speaking new and additional revelation. They revealed the word of God when the New Testament scriptures had not yet been completed or collected. 
Their authoritative inspired messages came direct from the Holy Spirit. Now again, God talks to each one of us today. But he doesn't talk to us in a way where all of a sudden we start writing some new scripture. All right? The canon has been closed. Chuck Swindoll, another one of my favorite teachers, he says this, after the completion of the New Testament, the gifts of both apostles and prophets wound down. Of course, Christians today can be specifically gifted to carry the message to unbelievers, penetrate unreached parts of the world, and proclaim God's word effectively to believers. But these kinds of gifts for ministry should not be categorized as uh, apostles or prophets, but as those of the next two categories, evangelists and pastor teachers. You will see evangelists and pastor slash teachers have taken over the special roles that apostles and prophets once had. So let's look at evangelists right now. An evangelist is a gifted man or woman who possesses a special ability to communicate the gospel, to make it particularly plain and relevant to unbelievers, and to help hesitant people take the step of faith. The results of their efforts are often numerically impressive. You know, we've, over the last few years, gone over different kinds of scriptures which help us understand what evangelists really are. We talked about evangelists in our Surprise the World series where I went over in a little bit more detail that Paul has a twofold approach to evangelism. His first understanding of what God has done is that he has gifted certain people with the gift of evangelism. And that evangelists boldly proclaim the gospel. And that they have unbelievable way to be able to share the good news of the kingdom. And people respond. But we also said this, is that all believers are to be evangelistic in their orientation. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, Paul tells this to a pastor. He says this, I want you to work hard at the work of evangelist. All right? In some of the terms we've been using, we want you to live lives that are questionable. Not morally, but as people see you live your life and trust God in a new and a fresh way, they start asking, why are you so happy when things are so bad? Why are you giving to the church? How come you serve the church? How come you... And sometimes they look at our lives and they wonder. And the idea is is that hopefully we're able to point people to the reason why we're different. Not odd, just different. Our hope is different. Our strength is different. We still go through issues all the time, troubles, challenges. But the difference is, is that we have God living in us. 
Then there's pastor, teachers. Now, some of your translation will see pastor and teachers. Some of your translation will just call them pastor, teachers. But these terms, they're two Greek terms, but they, these terms are linked grammatically. It's quite likely that pastors and teachers were referred to um, well, the roles of elders in the churches, whose responsibility it was to pastor, or literally shepherd the flock, and to teach the flock. This gift has two dimensions. First of all, there's shepherding. Shepherding involves counseling, confronting, comforting, and guiding. Again, you can look at the good shepherd and all shepherds should be looking at the good shepherd in order to understand what good shepherding is all about. Caring for the sheep well. Making sure they have great places to eat. There's a bountiful supply of water. They know exactly when the rest. They're protected from the wolves. Wow, sheep are not so smart. And we're not so smart. But that's what God says, is that each one of us, we need to be so dependent on the good shepherd. And earthly shepherds are to learn from the good shepherd and how to do this well. The second dimension of this specific gift is teaching. Teaching and preaching from the word. So there are gifts given to the church. Those who are evangelists, those who boldly proclaim the good news, they have that gift. And there are pastors and there's teachers. You know, God, you're going to find out as we continue through this book of Um, Ephesians, that God cares deeply for the church. In fact, you ought to be getting more and more and more excited about the church and what God's plan is, God's sovereign plan for this world. Well, God not only cares for the church, but he has sovereignly provided for it. Now, actually, I think this is a very relevant message today for the church, for our church, for churches in general. You see, sometimes successful churches have gone the route of, well, corporations, modeling themselves after corporate America rather than understanding the creator's intentions. It doesn't mean a church can't be large. But what it does mean that if a pastor eventually becomes a CEO and a manager rather than a shepherd or a teacher, we oftentimes fall in trouble. You see, the church is a family. It's a body. And these are two beautiful metaphors which we're going to go deeper in in just a little bit. The church is not about the latest, greatest preacher or the new fads that are out there. It is about a family. It's about deep spiritual growth resulting in changed lives. 
It's about love for your fellow brothers and an uncontrollable drive for evangelism and missions. This kind of growth does result in numerical growth. As unbelievers are saved and as floundering believers find their way to a vibrant ministry centered on actually making disciples. Now let's look at the purpose of gifts. Ephesians 4 verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. These gifts, in particular evangelists and pastors and teachers, are to first equip God's people. Secondly, unleash God's people to serve, to do God's work. And thirdly, to build up the church. I believe this is linear. You first start with equipping, then you go to unleashing, and then you are building up the church. You see, paid staff are not supported to do the work. They are paid to equip the flock to do the work. Now, there are times when this changes, and there are times when staff need to model while they do the work. But ultimately, God's plan is for them to do the equipping and the unleashing and the building up. Howard Hendricks, I'm pretty sure most of you have never heard of him. But when I was a young seminarian, he's just absolutely one of my favorite teachers. And he said this, The church is too much like a football game. 50,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise, watching 22 people on the field desperately in need of rest. Wow. Lastly, let's look at the results, or I would call the marks of maturity, starting at Ephesians Chapter 4, I'm going to start reading verse 13. And you can follow along in your Bibles. This will continue until all have come to such unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown away by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does his special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing full of love. We know that a church is functioning well. We know that a gathering, a community, a family is growing if they are unified in the faith. And in this circumstance, it's really unified in doctrinal teachings. You see, right now we are in the midst as a church of looking at our constitution and revising some of the constitution and trying to make it, well, a little bit more practical. There's a lot of things in it that we're just not doing. 
And what we're trying to do is hone it down to saying, hey, what are the things that our membership are willing to die for? What is the most important things in the scripture? And this is part of it. That we're unified in doctrine. Secondly, that we are a group of people mature in our knowledge of Jesus. That, that Jesus is not just something, well, we focus on in Christmas and Easter. But it's we learn about Jesus. Because literally, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing anyway, is chipping away all the things in our life that don't reflect God well, don't reflect Jesus well. And so he hammers away, takes those things away, so that we might be able to live like Jesus, think like Jesus, respond to people like Jesus, forgive like Jesus, love like Jesus. And for our order for us to do that, we need to know who Jesus is. Thirdly, as the church becomes more and more like Jesus, they become stable. Not kind of being drawn to any new fad or some kind of new doctrine. I'm not so sure there is new doctrine anymore. They're discerning. They're able to understand what the scriptures are saying and how people are responding. They're speaking the truth in love. Now, literally, some of your translations might even translate it truth in it. And this is a little bit difficult translation. I've heard this uh, actually taken out of context quite a bit. You know, as you need to tell somebody, um, you know, maybe in a tough love kind of way. Well, I think you should always talk to people graciously and kindly and, and uh, treat them with honor. All right. But sometimes we use this verse for that. But technically, the verse, the verb that's translated here, speaking the truth, it does mean to speak or deal or act truthfully. But it's a very, very difficult verb, literally, to translate. And you will see that almost in all the translations you see. The only other spot this exact verb is used is in Galatians chapter 4, verse 16. And there specifically it's talking about preaching the gospel truth. So I'm going to go with the same emphasis here. Is that a church that is growing is going to continually preach truthfully the gospel in love. That the teaching, especially from this pulpit and every other time God's word is being taught in this church, it is done in a loving and a truthful way. Now what's so cool is that if this is happening, all the parts doing their special work, there is unity in ministry and life. There is growth. There is health. There is love for all the parts. You know, I was thinking as I was driving to church this morning, how amazing and wonderful the church is. 
if we understand that God in his sovereignty has given each one in the local fellowship the right gifting and has brought them together, then all of a sudden there, well, there aren't any factions. We're applauding one another. We're encouraging one another. We're watching a well-coordinated body all functioning. Because if one stops functioning, it impairs the body. Do, do you understand that? How many of you had an Achilles tendon? I'm, I'm sorry. So something go wrong. It affects your whole body. Sprained ankle. Bum thumb. Whatever it is. Maybe in your vocal cords. It affects everything. And you do everything to make sure it heals. You get crutches, you put heat, you rub ointment on it, you make all those things. And, oh, well, I, I got to get back into the, you know, the game. Who wants to be limping around all the time? Who wants not to be you? And then what about when the parts don't go well inside? Oh, yeah, like gallbladder, you know, or a multitude of other things under the skin. You're going like, whoa, this isn't fun. I mean, I can't eat this. I do this. I got to go, you know, what's going on? Oh, maybe surgery. Oh, maybe this. Or maybe a change of diet. Or may- and you change everything so that your body would feel good. How cool the church is. If we understand all the parts are here to move us as a group together. That's what's so exciting. In today's church, sometimes gifts, as you talk about gifts, they're so divisive. Well, I got this gift. I got that gift. I got. You know what? Let me say this as I wrap up our thoughts. There are so many different gifts. And I'm pretty sure as you read through the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Romans and uh, Ephesians here in this text, as we look at all the gifts listed in the scriptures, I'm not even sure all the gifts are listed. God knows what to give each one of us supernaturally so that each one of us might serve each other and we might be fans of each other. And some are going to be more visible. And some are going to be less visible. But they're all really important. And the tendency, especially in my ministry over the years is, oh, well, let's get together. I'll give you a spiritual gift test. And we'll figure out exactly what gift you have. Maybe that's one good way to do it. And I'm not going to go down that path. But honestly, I think the best way to find out if you don't know what your gift is, have a conversation with someone who is spiritually mature. They'll start to point you down a right direction because you never want to just come to a church and be a finger that doesn't work or a thumb or toe or you name it because the church doesn't function then. Do you understand that? It doesn't. 
And we have an opportunity, and I'll say this all the time, jump into some ministry. Figure it out. Understand, use the different things that are going on. Start meeting with people. But if you don't know what your gift is, I think that's critical. I don't know if I could sleep tonight. No, maybe you could sleep tonight. But, but it should happen pretty fast. Get together. We ask you every week to fill out a connection card. Put your information down. Let's get together. I'll connect with you. We'll connect with the right people with you. And if you have a gift, honestly, and you're not using it, you will never, ever be fulfilled the way God wants you to be fulfilled. Say, Rick, I'm kind of new. I'm kind of... Folks, I'm just letting you know, God has given you a gift. Not to use our gift, I believe, is an affront to God's wisdom. So, you know what? I'm kind of an introvert. And, you know, I I really want to use that gift. I get it. But really what you're saying is, God, I know you're God, and I know you're really smart. I know you've got your whole act together, and you gave me some really cool things. All right? Time and treasures and talents. You've given me all these gifts but you've given me a spiritual gift. But I don't want to use it, God, because I'm smarter than you. I guarantee none of us would write that down or even have the courage to say it. But when you choose to be self and focus on yourself and not be part of a church, One of the first things I ask people when they come to our church, especially if they've left the church. So why do you think God sent you here? How did you leave the last one? Did you see your gift? Well, other people using it? What what is the what's happening? What do you mean? I I didn't come here to, to you know serve. I came here to you know get a break. Wow, I'm not the right guy to talk to. That's all I'm saying. Maybe there's some healing. Maybe there's some time before. But the truth is, God has gifted you. And if we don't use our gift, it's an affront to God's wisdom. It's a rebuff of his love and his grace and a loss to the church. Some people complain about the church. I I know it's probably not you. I know. Some people do. Rick, how come? Why don't? Ah. I go, "Mm, yeah, yeah. What's your gift? How are you using it? Oh. (laughs) Yeah. And that's all I'm saying. Sometimes it's easy to figure out what's not happening. And the real answer is, well, maybe someone's not using their gift. And until they do, we're going to limp along. That's all I'm saying. We did not determine our gift. We don't deserve it, and we didn't earn it. But we all have a gift from the Lord. And if we do not use it, his work is weakened, and his heart is grieved 
And we are not unified the way we ought. We are not productive the way God expects. And we are not on mission. Let's pray. Father, I ask you that you would supernaturally again teach each one of us the unbelievable privileges that we all have. You are a gracious God and you love us and you desire deeply, Lord, that we as a church would be a family, a community, a body that would work together, that would listen to you, that would make an impact in our neighborhood. We do pray for people to come to faith. We do pray, Father, for those who are hurting, that they would grow and be tenderized and encouraged. Father, we want to listen to you because you are king. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand.